Hey folks, for this episode of the pod, we've got Kyle Hall on the show. He uh, obviously fished the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit, is fishing the Invitationals next year, but more to the point, he is one of like the premier big bass catchers in the country, definitely one of the premier ones who is also fishing major tournaments. Uh, he caught a 16-pounder in Texas last year, well, this year. He is incredible with live scope, and we go deep on OHIV, big Texas fish, and really barely get around to the tournament side of things, which I didn't hate. Uh, it's a pretty interesting interview, um, especially if you like thinking about big bass, if you like thinking about live scope, and uh, if you like to speculate about records and things like that. So uh, anyway, here is Kyle Hall. Alrighty, and now we are joined by Kyle Hall. Uh, he is a smallmouth master, a Texas big bass master, um, you know, like a live scope champion. Uh, Kyle, you've had, I would say, a few really interesting years um, with some really high highs, some, you know, inconsistency as well. But, man, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. I don't get to talk about it too often, but um let's get it all right well i want to i guess start in texas because you were just recently at some sort of share lunker banquet or something like that i and not i don't fully understand it but i saw a lot of photos of you and other folks with replica mounts of just truly gigantic bass and you caught a 16 pounder uh over the winter what, what exactly was that like what was going on Yes, Wildlife does this thing called the Sherry Lunker Program. And um, from January 1st to March 31st, it's like the spawning time. So if you catch a bass over 13 pounds that you want to donate for spawning purposes to the Sherry Lunker Program, they'll come to that lake and get your fish. And they take it back to Athens to their facility they pair them with a male we just we actually got a pretty cool tour the other day while i was there and they pair them with the male and if they don't it's a long process but eventually they get the eggs from that they turn them out into a pond let them grow a little bit and then they go get them from the pond and bring them back to the lake along with your your fish that you donated they'll bring all those back to the lake they'll call you up say when do you want to release your fish into the lake and um, you meet them out there you release your fish you release the fingerlings with them and it's a pretty cool process that texas uh does down here i think it's made all the fisheries a lot better i mean it's been proven like the last I think they said the other day that the last three years there's been like almost over a hundred share lunkers caught, which is about over 13 pounds. Like I said, um, um, so they're, 
they're doing a great deal down here in Texas. They're they know what they're doing. They're growing the giants, and I can't thank them enough for what they did. And the, the banquet they put on the other night was pretty awesome. It's something I've never been a part of, and I got to go for my first time. And they recognized, I think there was 24 fish over 13 pounds caught this year. And at their facility, they only got 15 spots for fish. So after the 15th one, um, you actually just turn your fish back. They'll come and do DNA tests, get a fin clip, get a couple of scales, stuff like that. And then you release your fish, which is what I got to do this year. I get to release my fish immediately back into the lake. And because mine was after the first 15. So. This year, I'm going to try to catch one in the first 15, so I get to go through the experience of naming my fish and stuff like that. But uh, It's pretty cool. I, I had the second biggest fish there, and a lot of people come up and congratulated me, and along with all the Texas Parks and Wildlife, they have a great um, team up there, and they do great work, and they're growing big bass. So. Yeah, so like that... So I guess your fish we won't know, but have they have sherlunkers been caught that they were able to determine what came from a previous sherlunker? Does that make sense? Yes, they they run the genetics on them and they can tell you if your sherlunker come from another one that was caught twenty years ago. So I don't know how they do. I don't know how all that works. So I'm sure it's in pretty deep. Um, statistics and I, I'm sure there's a lot to go through to get all those genetics right to know that that fish comes from a different lake just say like when we were there the other day one that was weighed in this year was actually from a fish that was caught at a completely different lake a few years ago and they had got those babies from when they, when they brought that fish into spawn, they released some of those babies in another lake trying to grow that lake up. And someone actually caught one of those this year, and it was a sherlunker out of another baby that was caught in a different lake. So that was pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah, so you caught, uh, at least as far as I can tell, uh, Brody Davis caught a 17-pounder um, this year in February, which I think was the biggest one in the year. And then you had a 16.1 which was the second biggest, and then there was another guy who caught a 16-pounder this year. Is that, like, I, I guess with the way the program works, and, you know, it seems like most of these fish have lake names attached, do you think that there's a significant number or any number of Texas, of big Texas bass that don't get reported to, like, not blow up a fishery? Because... From what I understand about OHIV is that it was a lake that a lot of people were trying to keep on the down low for a while. It was, and a lot of locals was trying to keep it on the DL, and uh, one person got word of it. That one person told another person, and it is at what it's at today. So it's producing, I think it had... 14 out of the 24 fish there at the banquet the other night come out of OHIV. So 
to answer your question, I, I think lakes don't. Some lakes are not turning in their shallowers that are caught. Yes, because I've heard of several of them. But they're trying to keep those lakes on the DL, and they will not. I try to get it out of a guy the other night. Supposedly there was a super giant caught this year, like over the 19 pound mark, and Whoa. I try to get what lake it was out of him and. It wasn't coming, so. <laughs> oh, man. I would like to catch, I mean, I would like to catch a 11-pound bass or a 12-pound bass or any bass of that size, but I can't imagine a 19-pounder. Like, could you, what was the biggest bass you'd caught before you caught that 16? Uh, I think a 12.82, and I caught that probably about a month before I caught the 16. <laughs> but I got a pretty cool story. Uh, I was actually at my tackle shop in Granbury. This is this story is going to be about the three biggest fish caught in Texas this year. I am buckled I was at up. My tackle... <laughs> you have the, the next 10 hours, all you. <laughs> I was at the tackle store in Granbury, my tackle store, and uh, – I made a bet with this guy because I was about to leave to go at OHIV like that day. I was about to get in the truck and I made a bet with him. I said, if I catch a share lunker in the next seven days, you owe me push-ups every time I see you for the next two months. Ten push-ups every time I see you. And so I take off to this late to OHIV and I get there and next morning I go out and start fishing and I get a call says hey i just caught a i just caught a 15 pounder and i'm like i'm so stoked for him but at the same time i'm supposed to be on the best lake in the country he's at another lake just fishing a tournament little little tournament i don't even know what they were fishing but he had caught a 16 pounder his scale was a pound off they weighed it shale anchor come he got to donate it and so i had lost a bet <laughs> Going so you're to jacked like in the country thinking I'm about to catch a sherlunker, and then my buddy that I just made a bet with catches a sherlunker out of a lake that it's known to have sherlunkers, but not near as many as Ochavio, of course. And so I go eat dinner that night, and I'm sitting there actually with Birdie Davis himself, and the guy's never caught over an eight pounder, and he's like, "I'm down here with my son Stetson." I'm just trying to get on one ten pounder. I've never caught a fish over eight pounds. He goes the next day and catches a seventeen pounder. And he got to donate it and whatever and I was I was super stoked for him as well. Then about I think it was like four or five days later, that's when I caught my sixteen. So it was kinda like Bam, 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 like all in a row. I don't know what it was about that week in Texas, but if you weren't on the water, you missed out big time. <laughs> Dude, that is intense. Um, so I got to kind of be there, like the top three biggest fish in Texas this year. I was right there with all of them. And it was pretty cool. That Well, yeah. except for that secret 19-pounder. <laughs> Yeah, that, but <clears throat> no one knows about it other than the local old group there that ain't going to open their mouth, so. 
Other All than right. that. How, so, uh, how good is OHIV? Um, like, a lot of these, OH, like, it kicked out most of the fish, or a lot of the notable fish this year. Like, especially this year. But historically, like, if you look at the Sherlunker data, you know, a lot of big ones come out of Lake Fork, and then big ones come out of some other places, too. Is it... it what's it like fishing there? Um, and then maybe what was it like fishing there before it got this level of publicity, and then now? Like, has it changed? What's, what's the experience? Um, I think... I think the high lake is on a high, just like when you win a tournament like me this year, I won at Champlain and I was above the world. I felt like, I think that's where Ojabi is right now. And like at the beginning of the year, when I wasn't doing so hot, I would explain that as Lake Fork right now. I mean, it, it is a great lake with <laughs> tons of big fish, but I think your odds at catching a 10 pounder are better Oh, Chavi is the place to be right now. Um, it's out in the middle of nowhere. So before it really got blown up like this, you would go out there and you'd see maybe 10 boats if you were lucky in a day. And it's a pretty good-sized lake. Like... It is. It's super low right now. I think it's actually like 18. I haven't looked, I haven't looked in the past couple of months since the summer, but... Um, last I looked, I think it was 16, but I'm guessing it's probably 18 feet low. We haven't got much rain. We got a little bit, but not enough to do anything significant, but it's still very low. If it ever was to come up, I think it would be absolutely insane for a while, but the more it drops, the harder it's going to get, the more pressure it gets, the harder it's going to get. And it really has changed a lot since three years ago when before people found it it was you could go down by the dam and all the clear water and that's where you were going to catch the big ones and now it seems like the dirtier the water the better chance you have to catch a big one so there's a lot of flooded timber and it kind of sets up kind of like forks there's a ton of flooded timber but there's more cedar trees than hardwoods so it's like it's got a little mixture of both where Fork has mainly just hardwoods. Okay. Um it's not like a tremendously super deep lake either. Like it's, you know, a hundred feet at the dam, but there's a lot of water, you know, at least like looking on Navionics, there's a lot of water that's I guess now it's thirty feet deep or twenty feet deep. Um if the if the lake is really down that far, you know it's not it's not like a western lake that's like just an abyss, uh, and it's not, but it's also like not your typical like Sam Rayburn or like sort of like big flat kind of Texas lake if that makes sense. Like it's is it unique in, to Texas or are there a bunch of are there other lakes similar that could have that potential? Do you think? Uh, I think there's a bunch of lakes around here that's got the potential, maybe not quite quite as many big fish, but there's several lakes around here that's got just as big a fish, I believe. 
I mean, there's legs that set up almost just like it. Um, I just think that if you go back and look at the stocking of OH Abbey, they stocked a bunch of fish in there, a bunch of big fish in there, a bunch of share lunker finger lungs in there. Even before, like, I I can't remember the data that I looked up, but they stocked a ton of Sri Lanka fingerlings back in the 90s, I believe. So, maybe even the early 2000s, I think that stocking really put it above the rest of the lakes. But there's other lakes around here that may not have as many, but might have bigger. It's just kind of, it's the hot one right now. So, Do you think that a share lunker program is something that other states should try to replicate? Like, I, I know that, you know, Texas is kind of uniquely a hotbed of bass fishing. Um, but, and like, it might be a difficult thing to run a program for half of the year in the Northeast or something like that. Um, but, uh, is it something that you feel like is good to do other places? I do. I really, I think it's the reason that the fishing is so good in Texas. Um, it would be hard to do it up north somewhere where you only have a couple months that it's not frozen over and stuff like that. But I know there's a few other states trying to do stuff like it just because Texas is so good. But um, it's what's made Texas fishing the way it is. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think other states should try it, give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out for them, but it's working out pretty great here. So I don't see why why you wouldn't try it. As far as the fishing on Ivy goes, it seems like these days, or especially, I guess, in that pre-spawn period, it's kind of dominated by live scope. Is that like, did you watch your 16 pounder bite? Like, is that just the way to fish in the winter there? I, I did. I honestly thought it was a carp because it was so big, but um, it's a lot. I would say it's a lot easier in that time period just because it's super cold and you can kind of just zoom around on the trolling motor and um, not spook them. That's quite as easy because they're just so cold. They're not, I don't really think their minds work that good because I've noticed this summer and trying to do the same thing that when you see one and you, they spook really easy. I think during the winter, they, their minds working really slow and they don't want to swim real fast. And this summer I've tried the same thing and they just, they're gone. Like you can't even catch up to them on the trolling motor. So, Really, I think and that's, that's not why we just we just I've never sat behind my graphs at the console and idled that lake anywhere. You just get there, go to somewhere it looks good, throw the troll motor down, and take off. Really, that's pretty much all you're doing for miles and miles and miles. And you come across, you used to come across probably 15 over 13 a day 
say you probably catch one, but now you come across maybe 10 just because of all the pressure, I feel like. So it's got harder in that sense too. They're just, they're getting a lot smarter out there and they're getting a little bit better at hiding and stuff like that. So I think that's why it's so good in the colder months because when you do see one, you don't spook it quite as easy. So you can make maybe multiple presentations to it to like try to either trick it into biting or trigger it into biting. Correct. Interesting. Do you find that those big ones in the winter, like, are they almost always suspended pretty high or are you seeing fish that are just a little blip or just a little bit of movement on bottom and like going from there? Uh, They're usually suspended. Um, Not super high. Most of the time they're sitting three or four feet off the bottom. Typically every now and then you'll come across one that'll be like 10, 15 feet off the bottom they're a lot harder to get to bite because they will hear that mostly we're throwing a rigs out there and if they're sitting that high typically they'll hear that a rig hit the water and that will spook them but really that's amazing um have you it's just a lot of going looking casting on to the next one (laughs) And how how long will you fish for a fish? Like, if they don't leave, will you fish for a fish for ten minutes, or will you make like five? If they if they'll if they'll stay there and like I can tell it, it just depends on how big it is. Like, I mean, I seen one, I seen one in like, I think it was the beginning of May this year. It was after the spawn, so it was that warmer water. And it was actually a wolf pack of them. There were six of them. And I casted my swim bait over there. And as fast as I could see my screen, like one shot up and ate it. And it was a 1280. And oh I seen one in that group that I chased for as long as I could because I knew that was about to be bigger than the one I had already caught earlier in the year. But once it seen that one 12 eat, it wasn't going to, so I chased it for probably 30 minutes, but it was big enough that if it ever would have bit, I probably would have broke another PB. Wow. How, how far do you think it moved over the course of 30 minutes? Like a hundred yards, 200 yards? Like, what are we talking? Uh, it probably moved anywhere. I would say probably close to 200 yards. Like it was, it was getting it pretty good. And it was, I casted at it probably 10 times maybe in 30 minutes just because I'd have to get the boat position right and stuff. And it, it'd start swimming a little bit faster and get away from my bait. So I made probably 10 good casts at it. It probably looked at, I would say, four times. And when it would come up and look at the bay it would see it and just turn another way and get to going pretty good so but i knew it was significantly bigger than 12 i had just caught and i wanted to catch that thing so bad so that's why i followed it for so long but like in the winter if the same thing if, it, if i can tell it's a great great big one 
then the goal is to catch over a 13 pounder and if I can tell it's over 13 I'll I'll sit there for a minute if it doesn't eat and if I make 10 good casts at it and it never never even acts like it's gonna eat sometimes it just follows it but barely I'll just go on to the next one usually you can tell with two to three casts at it if it's gonna bite or not and sometimes it'll get your hopes up and come up there and act like it's gonna eat and not and then you make a few extra casts at it that you probably wasting your time and stuff like that but typically to the three casts you'll know if that fish is going to eat or not just because after that they've already seen the bait three or four times and it's better off to go on to the next the final one that's going to eat what kind of stuff have you learned about big fish from like from how many you've caught because I feel like, I'm not going to say you've caught more 10-pounders than, like, anyone alive, but you've caught a lot of big fish. Like, way more than the average person has. I think I've caught 12 or 13 this year since February 7th. I think February 7th I caught my first one this year. Now I've caught 12 or 13, so I've lost count, but I'm trying to get to, like, 20 by the end of the year. And it's not really going to pick up that good until, say, end of November, into December. So come that time, I'll be there every day and trying to catch a few more. But um, I've learned a lot about them. Like, the biggest thing I've learned about them, like, I can tell what they look like on the screen. If one doesn't eat, go find the next one because... If you come across 20 to 30 10-pounders a day, you're going to catch one of them if they're true 10-pounders. Like, I was on a spell there for a little bit. I think it was, like, May and June that I went out six days or four days and caught six double digits. I had three of them in one day. I caught the first one super early that morning, and I was like, dang, I could catch two today. Then right before I went in for lunch, I caught another one, and I was like, dang, I could catch three today. And then I went right back out after lunch and caught another one. So wow. That's just because I was steady on the trolling motor, moving, kept going, didn't waste my time on the ones that wouldn't eat. And that's the days that you can you catch them. You're, just, you're not going to catch – say you, you find one, and you're like, that's a 10-pounder. Most people are going to get stuck on it and chase that fish for an hour. And you look up and an hour's gone by. And that's, you could have come across 10 more fish in that time that were 10 pounders. And like my 16, when I caught it, I caught four, four pounder, the very, the cast right before it. I turn my trolling motor to the left. I see it. I cast over there and the fish eats on the very first cast. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for the fish that will eat it on the first or second cast. If you make good casts, they'll eat it on the first or second cast. You're not wasting much time. You're going to the next one. That's (laughs) the biggest thing I've learned looking at live scope and chasing these big Texas largemouths. It's on to the next. That's really, it's amazing how many big fish 
you have seen, right? Or seen with your sonar, right? Because, like, you could probably, like, in Florida, even on, like, the best, most perfect spawning day ever, right? You are probably, like, maybe you could see, like, two 10-pounders in a day if you had the lake to yourself, right? You know, maybe? it le- <laughs> Maybe more, I guess, but I'm not a Florida expert, but you're, like, routinely contacting, like, more big fish than most people catch in their life, which, I mean, man, it's just incredible. Yeah, and I live two hours away from that lake, and I'm... I'm lucky to live that close to it and get to get as often as I do. And like I said, there's plenty of other lakes around here that have the potential to have in it what Ivy has in it, but it's hard to get away from the one. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you said you're mostly throwing umbrella rigs. Is that, have you noticed that they just react to that so much better or is that because like you don't want to throw a finesse bait because either they don't react or you there's enough timber that you would like have a very high chance of losing them like what's what what have you kind of gone through because in like in the smallmouth world like drop shot with light line you fire it out there they eat it all the time you know what i mean <laughs> I know, that's fun. You throw it and they eat it. 90% of the time, that fish is going to eat when you get outside up north. Yeah. But I think the I think the biggest thing for me with the A-Rig is you're trying to present the bait perfect because when you roll up on a 16-pounder, everything has to be perfect. And I get it, you have five baits that can they can get tangled in the cast or when it hits the water, it can be tangled and messed up. But you're also having to think you're looking at a graph that you're, you're not looking at your bait and the fish physically. Like you're looking at your graph, depending on your graph. And I think an A-rig shows up so much better that, you know, like that A-rig's about to go over that fish. If everything's lined up on that A-rig the right way and some baits aren't tangled or nothing, I got a pretty good probability of catching the fish if it wants to eat. Where it's if a swim bait a lot smaller, it's harder to see on your graph. I get it. You can change the settings and make it super easy to see. But at the same time, I it's so easy. I wouldn't say it's so easy. I don't want to piss a bunch of people off saying it's so easy. But it's easier to see the umbrella rig and the fish at the same time because the umbrella rig is so big. Like, and I get, I guess just five bases, five little swim baits is more believable than the one that they're used to seeing. So, and the, the bait balls all group up real tight in the winter because it is so cold. So I think that's what triggers them fish a little bit easier than your one swim bait because it is super cold and, why would a single shad be swimming over there by itself when it's so cold? I get that they do, but it's a lot more believable when there's five of them. I like it. That makes, I mean, it makes sense to me. Um, 
but I'm, I'm the guy who's like, oh, oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks good. Every bait I put on, I'm like, yeah, they ought to bite that. And they don't always. So, <laughs> um, what about, uh, like the presentation on these fish? Is it, do you want to get the bait as close as possible to them? Or do you want to like kind of build in, like you're going to cast past them so your cast doesn't spook them and then bring it like close enough that they see it, but not so close that it like runs into their face. You know, is there a technique to, to that type of, to that approach? There is, um, it just changes every single day. Like you'll get out there on a school, then they'll want it to pretty much hit them so close to them. And the whole school only bite if you hit them with a rig and then, there's some that'll want you to move it like as you're reeling it, just kind of pick up on your rod a couple of times and start give it some action, you know? And then there's some that want it to land on top of their head and be coming straight down at them and then turn away from them when it feels like the bait is seeing them stuff like that. So that's just kind of depends on the day. There's no one specific way that I would say is better than the others. It's just how the fish are reacting that day. You just got to try it all until you find what they like. And if that's landing on, on their head or if that's throwing it past them and bringing it, trying to hit them with it, I've had it all different ways and caught them doing all of it. So there's no one way that's better than others. It's interesting how like diverse fish are, even if they're on the same lake and sort of doing the same thing every single one like probably has a little bit different thing in mind on any given day exactly it is i've caught i've went to one school and that all they'll eat is an a-rig then i go to a school a mile away and all they'll eat is a swim bait so one of them wants it 10 feet over their head the one wants the other one wants to hit them so there is days you go out there and you can't mess up with one A rig, and you just—that's the only thing you can catch them on. They all want it the same way. I've had those days too, but typically every fish on the lake isn't going to want it the same way. So, with uh, with how much you fish there, and you know it, it being winter and all, and sometimes fish don't you know, fish don't necessarily move a ton in the winter. Have you caught the same fish twice there? Um, I think I actually have. I can't remember if I caught it the day before or someone else caught it and sent me a picture of it. That's kind of what I think happened, but it was the same fish. But I think it's only happened one time, so... I had, there was a, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say there was a boulder on on a lake near me and I caught the same fish on the same bait, uh, twice in this one, like once on like Monday and then another time, like on Thursday. Uh, but it hadn't moved at all. It was like just ready to eat a swim bait, but go on. I had another cool deal that happened it was like i think it was in november of last year 
I was out there and I was sitting on this school of fish and I couldn't get any of them to bite. Like I sit there for probably two hours on one school and I was making the same cast over and over. I could not get them to bite. And finally I reeled it over the rat two pounders head along with a six and a seven following my bait. So this two pounder comes up and eats it like off the bottom out of nowhere, just sharks it and gets it. And I set the hook and I'm like cranking on it for a second. And I actually have a video of it on my TikTok. I think I didn't get the, get the, uh, cast or anything on there. I just got, once I realized what I had, I started videoing, but like three or four cranks into it. I thought that, two or three I think it was 340 or something got me hung up I thought it had got me hung up like I was sitting there winching on it. I was like this thing got me in the tree like there's no way it wasn't even that big and I go to pull it and it's coming towards me and I, I look down there and I'm like that's either a giant or that's more than one and I get it up and there's a 340 a 680 and a 715 all in the same bait oh my god that's like the most so epic like triple of all time. 17, I had like 17 and a half pounds on one cast. But I would much rather catch a 16-10 any day. That was cool, <laughs> but I would rather catch a 16-pounder. Not many people have caught a 16-pounder. So yeah. I just thought that was pretty cool. Like That was my best cast ever until I catch a 16, which it's going to be hard to beat that. But... I'm going to spend all winter out there trying. I can promise you that. Yeah, no no doubt. So, the world record is 22.4. Do you think there's a world record in there? Or somewhere in Texas? Like, what's... Is there a chance? What's, what's your vibe? Um, I think there is a high probability that it is in there. Um, with as much pressure as it getting, I don't know if it'll be caught. But I don't believe, I'm not one to believe that the biggest fish in the lake ever gets caught. So um, there's a 17 pounder that's been caught out there. I mean, that's only five pounds. I say it's only five pounds, but like I said, the biggest fish in the lake will never get caught. And I don't think, personally, unless you're just the luckiest man alive. But I do believe there's potential to have the world record in there. Um, and I actually seen some genetics at the Sri Lanka banquet the other day. There was this fish that was 23 inches long, 23 inches round, and it was 14 pounds at 23 inches long. Holy and we kind of talked about it. I talked about it with some of the Sri Lanka guys, some of the people that worked there, and they said, this fish, which is back in OHIV right now, that, that fish one. has the potential and has the genetics to be a world record at some point someday. And How like long? my fish being sixteen ten, it was twenty six and a quarter long, I think, and twenty six round, which is almost a perfect square, but it's not. <laughs> Where twenty three and twenty three, that's like the fish you're looking for so so the key is to catch a square fish (laughs) 
yeah, pretty much. That's that's what they're saying. The genetics of the world record will be is the square fish. I don't know how true that is. I don't know how much research they've done, but they've obviously done enough to grow big bass here in Texas, so you got to believe them. You've won a pro circuit event. You have won a Toyota Series event. Would you rather catch a 17-pounder or win another big tournament? Um, why you got to put me on the spot like that? I'm sorry. I just see. I mean, look, you like catching big fish. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> I love catching big fish. Uh, if you said an eighteen nineteen or eighteen point nineteen pounder, which would be the state record in Texas, I would probably take that. Okay. Okay. But I like catching big fish and I like winning bass tournaments. So it's a hard hard decision to make. I'd probably have to sleep on it a couple of days and think about that one, but if you said a state record in Texas, I would most definitely take that over one in a tournament. And you'd definitely take the world record. Not close. Oh, 100%. I would take the world record. Never fished again if you asked me to. Really? I don't want to no. hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that no, would be... I would not do that. But I would... If I caught the world record, I don't know what I would do. Dude, that would be incredible. I would drive to every person's house I knew just to show them. <laughs> Forget sending it to them. They can't have it on their phone. I got it on my phone. You got to see it on my phone. Here, Come check this it. out. <laughs> you could get like a big TV and mount it in the back of your truck, and it could have a pictures on it so you could everyone could see when you drove. Or I could get one of them, like, billboard trucks and just drive that around, you know? Yes. Now we're talking. Get <laughs> one picture on there at the, with the world record. That would be pretty cool. Gosh. Has uh has catching all these big fish and the amount of time you spend, like, you know, trophy chasing, has that helped you um, in fishing tournaments? Or has it maybe sometimes hurt you a little bit? Because you're uh, – you know, your rookie year, you were tenth in points, and you haven't done as well since then. And it seems like you're kind of a little bit inconsistent sometimes. Like, what do you think it translates well, or is it kind of two different skill sets? It's two different skill sets for sure, but I, I don't think I don't think it's affected me in the tournament aspect. Uh, I don't really let that get in the way too much or I try not to. I may go try to do it for a couple hours like, and just give it a shot because there is lakes that we go to that you can wash go really well and pick out the big ones. Um, Lake Murray being one of them. That was a fun one. Smith Lake was another fun one that I did a lot of scope them and picked out some big ones and uh, stuff like that. But I try not to let it get in the way of tournament fishing because it is two very different things. But with that being said, it's hard not to go give it a shot. When you get to the lake and there's a bunch of trash fish and stuff, though, like you can probably tell that in the first couple hours that morning and you just go on about your way and go do what you're going to do and 
stuff like that. But I don't think that's what's hurt me in the inconsistency the last couple of years. I think I figured it out and I'm going to take a different approach next year and try to get back in that top 10 in points, qualify for the Bass for a Tour. But um, I guess we'll see if see if I figured it out or see if I was overthinking it. And All right. Stuff well, like that. So. so this year you made uh, over 150000 uh, you won at uh, Champlain. Um, this is just on the pro circuit, not counting Toyota Series stuff. You did pretty good. Like you're like leading the wild card division for whatever that's worth. Like you'll have a shot at the Toyota Series championship. But what uh, what did you figure out? Because you also had two you know triple digit finishes this year. I really think that the first year I was. Pretty much all to myself. I did stay with Dakota the first year, but I didn't really listen to all the doc talk like I have the last two years. And I think that's what's really hurt me. And at the James River, um, I did my own research. I watched my own videos. I went out there and I didn't listen to everyone talking. And that I actually cut the first check this day or this year at the James River. Or I guess I cut one at Pickwick, but I made my first cut at the James River. And that's really when I started, or when I come to the conclusion, I got to stop listening to what everyone else is talking about, what everyone else is doing. And I got to go do what I want to do and where I want to do it. I tried it at the James River. I made the cut there. Each day did get worse for me, but that's because I'm hard-headed and didn't just go run new water every day like I told myself I was going to the night before I kept going back to the same creek that I caught 15 pounds in the first day and I think they figured me out in that creek and it slowly got tougher and tougher in that creek on me um so yeah that's what I think it was I think it was I was been listening too much to the people talking around the ramp and calling too many people and sharing too much information and as far as practice goes and um which I still share information with me and a couple guys but as far as like showing up at the gas station and seeing one of the guys that I hadn't barely talked to and him telling me something like that's when I cut that out with the James River and it really I want to say it helped, but I'm going to go try it next year and stop listening to all the dot talk and take off. Because the first year, I didn't listen to any of that. I went and did what I wanted to do every single tournament, and it worked out all besides the Rayburn. I'm still fighting myself in the butt over the Rayburn tournament my very first year. Rayburn, uh, Rayburn will get you, even if you fish there a lot, like... You know, it's not a, it's not an easy place to go fish a tournament at. It seems like. Yeah, I actually fished quite a few tournaments back there in 2016, 2017, I think, maybe 2018 as well. I fished quite a few tournaments those three years, and I felt like I could go out and catch them any day. 
like there was mornings that I wasn't planning on fishing the tournament the next day and I'd go to sleep and wake up and head to the ramp and there'd be a tournament going on and I'd enter it and one of them I went out there and had 25 pounds and didn't fish for two weeks before that. Wow. And ever since I got live scope, I've went to those spots and it's nothing like what I thought it looked like from side scanning those spots years ago. So I actually fished a Toyota series event this year and I think I got 30th, which is, <laughs> I finally stopped looking at the live scope. Not that it's not an advantage there. I did catch them there this year one time on live scope, but I think for what, the way I fish Rayburn, I, and all the experience I have on Rayburn, it helps me not to be looking at live scope when I fish there just because I just run on the garden maps and I can kind of look and see where the ledges are and where the brush piles will be and stuff like that. And I just run inside scan everything. And that's how I ended up finishing 30th this year. So I don't even, we don't go there next year, do we? Mm, I don't think we do, but that's interesting that like you had to put down the technology because I, you know, in my head, and, like, and not every angler does there. Like I, I've heard of plenty of guys live scoping there, and but like when I live scope there, all I can catch is the two pounders that are super high in the water column. And I just think that I have so much experience just behind the screen, behind the console, behind those screens that it benefits me better just to run off those at Rayburn. And I fish a lot of lakes around here that I'm sure if we come here, I wouldn't be able to watch it as well, just because I fished those spots for so many years, just off side scan. And when I'm looking at Lobscope, I'm wanting to go catch trophies. And that's why I had to put it down. I'm not going to Rayburn to catch trophies. trophies. I'm going to Rayburn to fish a tournament. So, that's one place I had to sit behind the console and just grab. Do you uh, prefer one style over the other? Like, would you would you rather fish? Uh, like, would you rather fish old school, or would you rather look at your live scope? Oh, I would rather look at live scope any day, especially on a lake like. For example, Smith Lake, that's probably the best lake that we've been to that I've been able to live scope. Like, the first two days, I had 10 pounds a day, and I ended up making the day three cut, but I I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I had just caught 10 pounds. I barely squeaked in the top 50. And the third day, I was like, I'm just going to stay around the ramp at lunch staying around the ramp i didn't have a fish so i was like i'll run down towards the dam and i ran down there and started live scoping and within i think it was like 45 minutes hour maybe i had 17 pounds on smith lake and spotted bass so other than the smallmouth places like champlain smith lake is a good example of being able to live scope and that's what that's what i would prefer to do i Mississippi River 
I did have a good finish there, but I couldn't live scout. It was fun, but just not quite as fun being able to look at being able to look at them on that screen and know what I'm casting at and the anticipation of watching them fish about to eat it on live scope. Just there's something about it that gets me. <laughs> Have you had live scope uh, ever since you started coming up north, uh, or was your first time up in the like? You know, did you first come up without or either without it or with just panoptics because it feels like you've always been really adept at catching smallmouth actually the first time i come up there in 2018 on the st lawrence i didn't have any forward facing summer so you caught 68 11 just with 2d (laughs) yeah i was just dropping to him and i had about I stayed up there for like two and a half, three weeks, I think. And I had about 25 spots. I thought I could catch a five-pounder, and I knew if I ran all of them, I'd have – should have over 20, possibly 25 pounds. And the first one I ran to my spot, and I, I just had 2D. So someone was on my spot, and I wanted to get on this little rock right behind them. So I did – Caught a three-pounder, and I ended up throwing it back because I said, if I catch that fish in the tournament, it ain't going to help me. So I go around, and I look down on 2D, and there they are, and they're just all stacked in this little hole. I just dropped down there five times on 2D, watch my bait go all the way to the bottom. And as soon as it hit the bottom, I pull up, and I had 26, I think, just from that one spot. Wow. On 2D. 2D. So, yeah, I haven't had... I didn't ever have pan optics. The first thing I had was live scope. Um, I had just made the switch when Lasco would come out to Garmin, and uh, I think that was in 2020. I didn't have Lasco until 2020. It's new. It's it's kind of still newish to everyone, you know. I feel like there were some guys like maybe Scott Martin, Jason Christie, who like were probably taking advantage of forward-facing sonar, like kind of before other people were but it's definitely like it's still kind of new to you even though you've now got hundreds and hundreds of hours with it it is nearly new to me and i'm still learning it every day um just like this year i've learned a lot about it just just from the winter to the summer how much different the bass react and act from the cold weather the warm weather like they're much more aggressive in the warmer weather but they're also much more spooky mm-hmm. you get them in the cold weather they'll just kind of ease up to your bait and if they want to eat it they'll eat it if not they just slowly go back down in the summer i mean they'll be sitting on the bottom at 30 feet and you'll reel it over their head at 15 feet above their head and they're, they're just come all the way up off the bottom and eat it so i'm still learning everyday stuff about it and teaching people about it and there's still a long ways to go i feel like just to see the full potential of it what what do you think is next uh for a live scope like what's our you say we need to see the full we haven't seen the full potential yet you know what 
what are the like I don't want to say extra things we can learn but what's still out there in your mind um I really haven't thought about it I just they did just come out with the saltwater version so I haven't got to see any videos of people catching saltwater fish off of it yet but I'm ready to um but as far as bass fishing, uh, who would have ever, ever thought someone would come out with something that we could see it fish at 100 feet away? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's going to be one day that we could see them 500 feet away, bass sitting on the bottom. I really don't know what what the next thing is that's going to be coming out, but they're always coming out and improving having new stuff coming out that you can't believe is coming out. I just, I hope Wabsco never gets banned from tournaments because it is technology. It's come a long ways. I mean, I think if Wabsco gets banned, Grav should get banned in general because it's all technology. Like, you can't, you can't look at someone like Garmin and put them out of the tournament world just because they invented something that everyone thinks is cheating it's not cheating <laughs> it's technology like um, I don't I don't know what's next for it but they're probably working on something as we speak so my so I uh, I don't want to ban LiveScope at all or if we do ban it I just want to make sure I have it before it gets banned because, you know, it's the best thing ever. Um, but I do see the point that folks have when you look at a boat that has, you know, just so many thousands of dollars in graphs on it. Um, and you're not even like, I mean, you are running, I think, four graphs. I don't think you're running five um, or six or, you know, there's... There's a, no, some guys who are, yeah, there's some guys who are running like a really ridiculous amount, but in my, in my head, if I was going to try to regulate that, I would almost just like put sort of a maximum number of like screen inches you can have on your boat. And that would like force people to make some choices, you know, it, it wouldn't, and it would like make it a little more attainable. Have you thought about like, if it was going to get regulated that what you would want or just you like it being the Wild West? Uh, I kind of like it being whatever you want to put on your boat you can have because, I mean, if someone thinks they need three different brands and six different units and everything, then... Let it rip. I mean, people are coming out with technology, then they can have it. If they want to buy it, they can have it. But for me, I just, I've never ran with the Hummingbird 360. Never even, I've, I think I've looked at it one time, and that was probably a couple weeks ago. And, I mean, I see how it could be an advantage having both, but at the same time, I've got so used to looking at my live scope that I don't really don't feel like I would use it ever. Just because I can use my live scope, I can change the settings a couple of times if I'm in three or four feet of water to 
see a lay down or if I'm in 50 feet of water, I can look over there and see what that is laying on the ground over there. So I don't, I think how it is right now is how it should stay, but who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. I, uh, I don't think we're likely to see it really get regulated or, or banned from, from tournaments just cause you know, we're, we're kind of, we've gone too far at this point. It seems like something that would need, we would have needed to nip in the bud a while ago. Um, Correct. like the Alabama rig, like didn't get a whole lot of runtime. It was like, people were like, Hey, this thing is, should be illegal. And I don't really agree with that necessarily, but like it got regulated pretty fast and, that's not been the case with electronics. So I think the cat's out of the bag on that, but, um, yeah, you can, I mean, you can really only look at one screen at a time, you know, you might have all that on there, but if you if you have enough eyes to watch 360 and live scope at the same time and also fish, I mean, more power to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of how I feel with it. Like, I don't, I'll probably never get rid of live scopes in the rest of the time that I ever fish. I mean, I love it. Like, watching the fish eat the bait is probably the coolest thing that a man could do. I like it. Anticipating a, a 16-pounder is about to be on the other side of your line, and you got to figure out how to get him in the boat. You still got to get him in the boat. Like, nothing changes with that. Yeah, no, uh, no doubt. Um, well, Kyle, I've had you on the phone here for like, I think pretty much over an hour now. Uh, and it's been super interesting. I love talking about big fish. I love talking about live scope. Um, but, uh, I don't want to keep you too, too much longer and I appreciate the time. So I guess, is there anything else you want to get in? Um, is there any places like any social media you want to shout out or anything? And and I think we'll uh, call it a day. Oh, I think that now will cover everything today. Just I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Kyle Hall Fishing. And I, my TikTok's been kind of slow, but we're about to head back out to Ivy here right after the Toyota Championship and start chasing some big bass again. And that's pretty much all my TikTok scores for the for the big ones, so give right. you a little follow and keep and an then, eye out. Uh, your tackle shop is uh, Tri Lakes Tackle Town, right? Yeah, Tri Lakes Tackle Town here in Granbury, Granbury, Texas. It's uh, located right at the split of 377. We got everything. We got actually we got two 16 pound replica mounts that we just got back. This last weekend, we got them on display in the tackle store if you want to stop by and see those. And we got some awesome stuff in the store along with my full sin series rides. You can also purchase those online at trilakestacketown.com. Okay. And then, let's see, do you guide at all or you just, when you're fishing, you're fishing? I do guide. Uh, I do guide. I started it after this little four day spell that I caught six double digits and I will be guiding again starting probably in December through March, depending on 
tournament dates and stuff like that. But here in the next couple of weeks, I'll start trying to book some trips. Uh, and you can just message me on Instagram or Facebook, either one, and I'll get back with you. <laughs> and we'll go chase a potential 16-pound bass on OHIV. Or if you want to learn another lake around here, I may venture out a little bit this year, too. I'm going to try at least. So. All right, man. Well, dude, thanks for the time. Uh, good luck. And I'll see you out at Gunnersville here to finish the season off in not too long. All right. Thanks for having me and stay warm up there.